Hey, this is Michael Emery. Thanks for tuning into the Slow Baja. This podcast is powered by Tequila Fortaleza, handmade in small batches, and hands down, my favorite tequila. Slow Baja is brought to you by the Baja XL Rally. The Baja XL is the largest and longest amateur off-road rally on the Baja Peninsula. It's 10 epic days, LA to Cabo to LA. Check it out at BajaXL.org. David Keir, I'm delighted to be back with you in your home talking to you for slow baja and i'm on a mission to learn about the missions oh, so wow <laughs> i'm sitting at the uh the knee of the master so take us through it how did you know how did your fascination with missions start and um what you know where do we where do we go from there well as with my other baja fascinations it started with those trips to baja with my folks in our jeep wagoneer in the 60s and my dad was a fisherman, but my mom, also a fisher person, but she loved the scene, the cemeteries and old ruins and old mines and all the stuff that we drove by or maybe stopped briefly at on those trips. And so I was fascinated with that because of my mom's interest, I suppose. But also, while we were driving, it was my job to read out of the Lower California Guidebook uh, with my folks that... Oh, at mile 4.2 ahead is uh, a fork in a road. We want to take the left fork. And I would do that while we we're driving. The, uh, I guess that's sort of the, uh, the Waze or Google Streets uh, deal uh, that you have in your son sitting between you in the front of the Jeep and, and narrate what's up ahead. And let, I would Let read me just about, jump in yeah. there for a second because we talked about this before. How old were you on that first trip? This is like 1966. Was this the? Yeah. Well, 65 was the very first trip. We went to Gonzaga Bay, and the Peninsula Long Trip was in 66. So I was just shy of nine years old. So you're sitting between your mom and dad uh-huh. on the bench seat, front front seat of the Wagoneer, totally yep. safe. Yep. Like the old days. Mom <laughs> would just throw her arm across you if she needed to keep you from going through the windshield. And your parents kept you engaged, unlike, I hate to say, I'm not, you know, like parents today would just put the the screen in front of the kid so he doesn't bother you. You were engaged. You were you were checking the odometer. You're checking the mileage. You've got the yeah. You've got the guidebook, the Bible on your lap. Right. Uh, Gulick and uh, Gerhard and Gulick. The Lord California Graham, guidebook. The Baja uh, Bible. Yeah. Right? I was stuck on Graham Green. It was Gulick and Gerhard. <laughs> different book. Uh, Graham McIntosh is another person that uh, will really give you a good interview, but. Uh, yeah, no, but you're you're you've got Gulick and Green on your um, Ger- Gerhard and wow. Gulick. G, G and G. How about that? <laughs> Let me get tongue tied today on Slow Baja. Yes, you've got it on your. Uh, I'm not even going to try and say that again. You've got that Bible on your lap, and you are your parents' guide. Exactly. Right? I mean, they. You did it. I was a street pilot. Turn by turn. Right. And that was and, and so I got into doing that, narrating the trip. And that of course pushed me into writing guidebooks and road logs and documenting trips like I still do. It seems and to have burned it into your mind it though. Burned it in real no, deep. Seriously. <laughs> it it seemed to. So you've got your dad who loved to fish, mm-hmm. dentist as I recall, correct? Yes. And your mom who loved the history. Yes. And here you are. That apple. And then I'm reading about these missions and, 
you know, the Spanish missions. Well, I, you know, grew up in San Diego County, so we knew about missions to degree. Now, fourth grade for me didn't have the same program that the fourth graders later on had studying the missions, but we, we learned about uh, the El Camino Real and the missions as a kid and just as general interest. And matter of fact, uh, Harry Crosby uh, did a, his first Baja job, I guess, was being a photographer for the book called Call to California, uh, published in uh, 68, I guess. He did the trip in 67 as a photographer, and that's where he was introduced to the missions and the El Camino Real and, and eventually the cave paintings. Well, there I'm down there, too, and, and learning about and seeing Harry Crosby's work as a, you know, this 10-year-old or 9-year-old kid. So it's all ingrained with me being, you know, into it and experiencing it and then wanting to research it. And I'm having all these resources to me and not a ton, but we had the Gerhard and Gulick Lower California Guidebook, which had a lot of history in it. And we had, you know, then I came home and saw the books by, you know, the Harry Crosby did the photography for and later his own books, but back then. And then um, uh, Earl Stanley Gardner, you know, he created Perry Mason and wrote all those mystery books. And he loved Baja California in the desert. And he did several books about exploring Baja. They were adventure books and uh, lots of photography and lots of, uh, you know, ho-ho, he's my good friend so-and-so. And that's just the way uh, Gardner wrote his his books. Yeah, I'm reading Off the Beaten Path, uh, Baja Off the Beaten Path right now, 1967. And yeah. to think about the effort that he put into those things. I mean, with like getting helicopter fuel staged and flying small <laughs> helicopters, creating vehicles. He was a whirlwind I mean, down there. Building, tell, tell you. <laughs> yeah, building off-road trikes. You know, people didn't have ATVs, so he was having his mechanic engineer friends engineer these yeah, things. Yeah, J.W. Black out of um, Paradise, California. Exactly. Created those dune buggies and three-wheelers before Honda created the three-wheelers. So you know where Honda got the idea from. They saw Earl Stanley Gardner's troops with these three-wheeled, you know, VW, uh, in fact, they're Briggs and Stratton-powered machines then. And he had the VW-powered dune buggies called Butterflies. Right, and the very first Broncos as well. He had those on He that. had the, one of the first, I think Ford got him one of the first right. uh, Broncos that came out and in 66 on that trip. That was February 66. Yeah, and so I, it seems to me there was a little <laughs> bit of um, Baja exploration in the zeitgeist in your life in those formative years. Yeah. And so let's flip back to the original question <laughs> on a mission to learn about missions. Yes. So your mom was into it. You're right. on these trips. You're seeing them firsthand. It's in the air. And because um, I know you're a stickler for details, I just was researching uh, Crosby. That book called to California was 1969 uh, when it came out because of the 200th anniversary of uh, seven, San, San 1769. Yeah. Yes. Right. So take us back to 1769, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, you know, that was the end of the Jesuit period. And uh, uh, because the Jesuits were removed from all, not just California, which was Boston. Yes, they, they lost the franchise. All of the, all of the Western Hemisphere and, and taken back as prisoners back to Europe. And uh, so the Franciscans were chosen to replace them in the California mission program. And California then was just the peninsula that we call Baja California today. But soon after the Franciscans were here, the king had uh, given them a new quest, and that was get up to those harbors at San Diego and Monterey. They hadn't discovered San Francisco Bay yet because the Golden Gate was always hidden by the fog. So they knew about Monterey. They said, we, we want those harbors 
uh, claim for Spain because the Russians are heading down that way, and we want to beat the Russians to all that land. And uh, so they gave Junipero Serra the task of expanding from the California missions, which went up as far as Santa Maria, near Catavina, and continued on up to San Diego. And, and that's what happened in 1769. So imagine if you got to San Diego after Baja, or even further north, I oh, mean, yeah. up to Monterey. Like, Whoa, it's a, what it's the heck are we doing down there? It's a land of milk and honey compared to that, <laughs> that desert-infested, thorny, yeah. and with, with the diseases already taking its number on, on the native people already. So they were definitely in, 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 uh, thrilled to see that there's some virgin land that they could, you know, they could do the missions their way and hopefully you know, not have the same problems that the Jesuits had. Um, so, yeah, so that uh, is where they went to. And then the, the, the Baja California missions, and that's, of course, when Baja and Alta California became two places instead of one place, is when San Diego was established. So to not have any confusion as to which California you're talking about in a letter, you needed to identify the peninsula as Lower or Baja California, also called Old California, Antigua California, or the Upper New Nueva California uh, and uh, in your letters and stuff. So that's where the two terms came from. And, and of course, up, jump ahead to 1848, when the United States acquired Upper California, we just dropped the Alta Upper from the name, but Mexico didn't do the same with the peninsula, so it remained you know, Lower California, and we just became just California. Do you ever wonder what would happen if the Pilgrims had landed in, like, La Jolla? <laughs> I mean, think about that. If they had not landed in miserable, sweaty, mosquito-infested Massachusetts, Plymouth Rock, if they had actually landed like in La Jolla, you know, our whole country would be like settled for about 30 miles. It'd be, you know, a few miles south, a few miles north, a few miles east, and then they'd say, you know, maybe we should go back. It's not, <laughs> the climate's I, ideal here. Maybe we should just turn yeah. around and go back to La Jolla. Yeah, now the people from Massachusetts come to California to live in that weather. Yeah, well, we digress. Okay. So, David, missions. Yes, yeah, so the first mission, of course, that was successful was at Loretto in 1697. And the Jesuits established 17 missions in all uh, during the 70 years that they were in charge of the missions here. And California was uh, basically their own sort of independent region. Uh, they had the special deal where they established the missions at their own dime, and so the Spanish government allowed them to go ahead and, and uh, have autonomy over the area, uh, so they wouldn't have to finance it and be bothered with the, that part of the deal, other than pr providing troops, soldiers, which the Jesuits were paying for originally, but it became very tough for them to get finance because the missions were very costly. Uh, we couldn't, or I say we, the missionaries couldn't grow enough crops and food to really adequately feed the population. So, so much had to be chipped over the Gulf of California from the mainland missions to support the Baja missions. And it wasn't a, a very great venture, but somehow stories of the Jesuits acquiring pearls and gold and silver uh, made its way back to Spain. And and the king says, well, they're not paying their, their royal, you know, fifth or whatever the amount was supposed to be. And, uh, you know, that could have been one of the reasons for the uh, the kicking them out. But they, it was other reasons, too. The Jesuits just were becoming out of favor with all sorts of uh, parts of Europe, and they were losing control everywhere. And it just happened that California was the last area that the Jesuits were removed from, and they were finally left on, in 17, um, 
I'm sorry, yeah, uh, 1768, they, the ships that sailed from Loretto with the uh, 16 Jesuits on board and for their trip back to, to uh, Europe. The mission that is in Loretto is beautiful. Um, what, how long did that take from when they laid the first cornerstone to to completion? Is that 100 years? It's... Well, there's different stages to a mission's development, and the mission starts out as a shack of sticks, basically, uh, a jacal, Spanish for shack, and uh, they, all they need is, an, is a, an altar to perform their services with so they create an altar and maybe a little a lean-to and that's when the mission's founded that's that's the mission all the missions started that way and then it would develop to maybe a better stick shack and then they would make an adobe uh, room and expand on that and if the mission was still successful then they would go one step beyond that and make one out of stone and that's the missions that we still see today there's eight of them that are made of stone that are surviving. Now, some, some had some degree of repairs. Loretto, quite a bit. The roof was gone, and the bell tower was gone from an earthquake. And uh, in the 1950s, that was replaced. So the roof and bell tower, the one that has clocks in it, <laughs> is definitely modern and new. But the stone walls are from the uh, middle 1700s. And matter of fact, all these stone missions came from the middle 1700s. That's Loretto, San Javier, Comandú. Uh, Santa Hertuda, San Borja, San Luis Gonzaga, San Ignacio, and Mulahe. I think that's all of them. And those are all stone missions built in the mid-1700s. And so you just took us th- through them, and those are the missions that, when I think of missions in Baja, those are the ones that, that I picture. Those are the ones that I've visited, beautiful stone, right? you know, 200-plus-year-old structures. Exactly. Where did they go? Where did they start? They came into Loretto, they started there, and then once they moved on, take us through the development. Yeah, they got a foothold in Loretto, and that took some time to do, and they had to, you know, pacify the locals, and the locals attacked them, and they attacked back, and they came to a peace term, and, you know, happily ever after uh, the mission was, was established. They had a presidio, which was the Spanish fort that they first was surrounded the mission, then uh, then the mission was built outside of the Presidio on its own, that they could trust the locals not to attack them anymore, and then they you know they learned about these other places and they went exploring, and San Javier was the next mission up in the mountains above Loreto, and so um, his partner Piccolo uh, uh, went up and established the mission there. Now it's not where the San Javier Church is now; it was about five miles north. It's called Rancho Viejo, meaning the old, the old ranch, really the old mission site. There's no ruins that I know of at that site, but it was there until about 1710, and the water was better further south in the valley at a, at a, a, a farm they called San Pablo, and that's where they moved the mission to around 1710. We're not sure the exact date. They moved the mission down to the San Pablo Ranch, and that became the new San Javier and that's where they eventually built the stone mission. That is the, probably the best example of Jesuit construction. The jewel of the missions is San Javier. That's definitely a, a must-see. It's only like uh, 21, 22 miles paved now from Loreto, and you got to see that mission if you go down to Baja. But in the day, that was probably a two-day walk, I would imagine, right? Oh, yeah, or more. Or more, yeah, because yeah, you're exactly. going uphill. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it was struggle, and they had to build that road by chiseling and chipping and and that was the first section of El Camino Real was from Loreto to San Javier. 
And that was that was a tough one to get through, definitely. So take us to the okay. take take us down the uh, the El Camino Real, David, to the next and uh, the next into the next. Well, uh, time wise, now in in my book, you know, Baja California Land of Missions, I put the missions in sequential order, which I should order. have in front of me. You gave it to me in the last time we met. I should have it right here, cribbing <laughs> notes as we go here, so I don't sound uh, completely ignorant. It's all right. Um, I wrote it so I can remember most of what's in it. <laughs> one, one more time on the title, David. Yeah, Baja California Land of Missions, and um, it's probably in its last printing. It's been been a wonderful run. I've I've started. I wrote it in 2016, and it's been through eight printings. It wow. just keeps selling. You know, small amounts. Baja California books have a limited audience, and history books a limited audience, but. Uh, I've been so pleased with with how it's done, but I I think this will be the last printing. Well, congratulations! I've got like fifty copies left. Anyone wants to order any, they can All go right. to my website. Well, well, <laughs> let's say it right now, and then we're going to say it again at the end of the show. My website's vivabaja.com, and my book and other books I have are at oldmissions.com. All right, so that's two v, places. V is in Victor. I V A B A J A. VivaBaja.com. Right. All right, and we'll get that back at the end of the show and in the show <laughs> notes. So, David, take it away. Okay, so, uh, yeah, San Javier is about two two days probably ride or up there. And all missionaries travel on horseback or muleback. They didn't walk unless there's a section of grade that was impossible for the mule to, to walk them up or the horse to walk them up. The next missions, um, number three and four, uh, happened uh, at the same time in uh, November of 1705. Uh, one padre was sent south to Ligui, about 20 miles south of Loreto, and the other padre was sent north to Mulehe, uh, what is that, about 70 miles or so north of Loreto. And um, I'd imagine we'd know the date that they left Loreto, but we don't know the date they arrived because that that's been lost. But obviously, the Ligui was the next one, so that's number three. And uh, Mulahe number four. Now Mulahe turned out to be a very successful location because that wonderful river that comes out of the mountains there. So lots of fresh water. They had flooding problems that Mulahe still has to this day. So the mission almost got moved because the flash floods de- devastated the crops uh, more than once. And the mission almost got moved, but it didn't. Uh, they just built the mission out of stone up on a nice high ledge uh, high above the river, which is a beautiful place to go view it at. Now, Ligui, to the south, that turned out to be the first failed mission. It only lasted uh, until 1721, and even during those years, the Padre wasn't always there. Matter of fact, they had two or three different Padres there. It just was in a bad location, no constant water source. There was attacked by the uh, fierce Indians from the islands offshore, um, and it just didn't work out that well. So uh, when the Padre of that mission, uh, Clement Guillen, went south to help the La Paz mission get established in 1720, he discovered a site about midway between Ligui and La Paz, and that a site he called Dolores, and that's where the mission Dolores got founded, just a couple miles from the ocean where nice big springs provide lots of water. So there's the, you know, there, there's some of the first missions uh, out from Loreto, and then Comandu and La Purisima, and it goes on and on. Comandu must have been something with the water there and the fertile soil that comes with the water. Yeah, I mean, such a beautiful canyon. Now, that mission was not originally there. It was about uh, 20 miles north at a site that we call Comandu Viejo. Like Rancho Viejo was the first San Javier site, Comandu Viejo was the first Comandu mission site, San Jose de Comandu. 
and uh, it was moved. It was it was established in 1708, and then it was moved in 1736 to one of its farms or visitas called San Ignacio, the name that was used for a mission somewhere else. But it was San Ignacio, and it's right next to another visita called San Miguel, which is a visita belonging. It was just, no, let me get that out. Which was a visita belonging to San Javier. So we had two visitas about two miles from each other, San Ignacio and San Miguel. Well, in 1736, the Comandu Mission moved to its visita, and when it moved to its visita of San Ignacio, they dropped the San Ignacio name totally, and they just moved the name with the mission, San Jose Comandu, to the new spot. And two miles away was San Miguel, which was part of the San Javier mission system, but with that move of the, of the mission of Comandu, they transferred it to Comandu's jurisdiction, so it became San Miguel de Comandu. And that name still sticks to the franchising day. and licensing back in the <laughs> 1700s. It was it's like corporations. It's exactly. how these missions were. Yeah, they moved about as as business was better somewhere else, or in this case, growing crops or water was better somewhere else. The mission would move, and and usually the name went with the move. But sometimes they kept the the local name. Now, when Dolores Mission moved from near the ocean that I mentioned up about uh, 15 miles, it moved to its visita called La Pasión. Well, the Padres generally just called that mission La Pasión after that. And that was one of the confusions that I helped straighten out with my book, at least I think I did, and that was people thought there were two missions, one called Dolores and one called La Pasión, but La Pasión was just the same mission at a new site. <laughs> it was still officially Mission Dolores, and, uh, you know, that's one of the confusions I like to help clear up. It was, it was a mystery to a lot of people, and a lot of mistakes get written over and over again, and I wanted my book to be kind of the final... Okay, until we find more, until we discover new facts, which we probably will, as new archives are dug up in Spain or Mexico City, and I bow to those new findings because I just want to have the latest, best information. And if someone has newer information than what's in my book, then I gladly relinquish uh, that that uh, correctness to them, and happily like to see the new changes if they come about. Well, that's why I like to talk to you, David, because because you really I, to put this as thoughtfully and kindly as possible. You're a stickler for details, and I love that. You're not just repeating stuff that has been said on the Internet or that, you know, has been in books in the past. You're actually doing the, the research and trying to get to the, the last right and best, most current, correct <laughs> and, information. And the same thing with my road logs and maps, you know. Like. As, I'm, as I'm sitting here on your kitchen table spread out, yes, we yes, can't talk I'm, about that project. That'll be... Yeah, uh, I'm, work, I'm working on a new map for Baja California, so it, it'll... It'll be coming in the near future. I can't say anything yet, but uh, people who love Baja maps, uh, don't don't worry. Your 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 wishes will be answered. And right. Well, <laughs> back to the missions because we can't talk about the maps. And David wouldn't let me photograph him with the maps. He's, right. He's getting right. my my spy cameras out. So back to back to the missions. We're working our way up the peninsula now from Loreto, and and the friars have gone down, or the uh, Padres have gone down the peninsula, mm -hmm. and have failed and continued down. So we're down to La Paz, or almost La Paz right. now. Mm -hmm. And we're up north. How far north now? Uh, we've gone to, uh, well, we went to San Ignacio. They discovered that river pretty right. early on. Uh, 1716, Piccolo uh, working out from, actually he was now not no longer at uh, San Javier. He was now running the Mulehe mission. And he, uh, you know, went and he'd heard about San Ignacio, what we call San Ignacio today, Back then, he named it San Vicente, uh, San Vicente Ferrer, 
and uh, that was the what he called the river, where, where we call San Ignacio today. And so he discovered that, and eventually it became a mission that was founded in 1728 in that magnificent church, probably the second best mission church in Baja after San Javier would probably be San Ignacio. That one's a little bit different story. It's not all Jesuit. It was started by the Jesuits. The base rock, if you will, was put in place. The four-foot-thick blocks was no easy task. was put in place during the Jesuit period. Then they were kicked out, of course, we know in 1768. And the Franciscans were in Baja for five years. And they didn't do anything, as far as I can tell, uh, to San Ignacio. It just kind of sat there in mid-state of construction. But the Dominicans came and replaced the Franciscans in uh, 1773, and they began working back on a San Javier uh, church and uh, completed it in 1786. I uh, don't know when they... St- I think they started... Gee, I have that date, just recently found it, too. Um, like 1781, but I'm not sure. That's just off the top of my head. But anyway, finished in 1786. And they also uh, built the stone missions at Santa Hertudis because there's an adobe church there from the from the Jesuits, and at San Borja. And the San Borja Adobe ruins are pretty extensive, and you can see them. They're partially protected by steel awning, and they're behind the stone church, which was built by the Dominicans. But the adobe ruins were started by the Jesuits, and the Franciscans built the latest uh, addition uh, there at San Borja. So the, the caretaker, Jose, a wonderful fellow, will tell you it's the Jesuit church, but actually the Franciscans built the biggest section of that adobe complex. Uh, that was one of the few things that the Franciscans did is uh, work on that. And then, they, of course, they established their first and only mission in, in California, and that was at San Fernando on the way to San Diego in 1769. So let's talk a little bit about the terrain. You mentioned two rivers already, Mulahe and the river that runs into San Ignacio. As far as I know, there are not navigable rivers in Baja. These are rivers that are local, and you can swim in them. But you're not you're not running a barge up these rivers. Yeah, no, you full of go, construction supplies. Right, the Colorado River is the only thing I think that fit that. Uh, yeah, and so that that would have been the preferred method of moving materials in the United States. In I mean, we weren't the United States in those days, but right. in early America, in Europe, of course, navigable rivers were how things moved from place to place. Exactly. So Baja didn't have that. No. Baja's got rocky, crummy, sandy, <laughs> dirty, difficult terrain. So how did the materials get to where they were? It's pretty was pretty amazing, especially when you see those missions. But and the, they're the, stunning. The base rock, of course, was, was carved out of the, the mountains right there by the mission. Uh, even at San Borja, you can look to the south, or to the west, I'm sorry, and you can see where the blocks were quarried from the side of the, side of the mesa there. Um, so all the rock came from the, the local area but other things like the the stained glass windows and and the wood door frames and you know things like that uh, were had to be brought over from the mainland of Mexico I'm not sure if anything came from Spain but the mainland of Mexico was well developed for you know about 200 years at that point so they had quite a infrastructure there to create the artisans and 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 you know so, so forth that went into the these churches another place without navigable rivers yeah, Mexico. <laughs> Mexico. Yeah, no right. navigable rivers. Just a different, Interesting. different, ter- different terrain altogether. So once they had the trains, that's how they got to move. Although the there. the little river in San Blas is kind of fun. You go out to see the iguanas. Have you ever done that? I have. If you not. ever get to Nayarit, go do the San Blas uh, jungle river trip. I did it a long time ago. It was really neat. 
I did the Jungle River at Disneyland, but that oh, was different. Well, this is very close. <laughs> uh, so I, I, we've worked up to uh, San Borja, and you started to talk about the caretaker family. And, of course, I was there uh, two years ago on the Baja XL, and it was just an, a terrific night. I'd never been out there, um, last second to last night of the trip. And just, you know, you could I could see the immense pride and care that Jose takes to, you know, to look after that site. Right. I mean, yeah. how did that come about? I mean, is he a privateer? What's the yeah, what's he, the relationship? He settled there, David? there. I think he claims he has Cochimí blood and and so forth. And, you know, who, who am I to say yes or no? But as far as I can tell, he migrated there from the little town of Rosarito um, or from one of the ranches of the south, uh, Compostela, or one of the other ranches that are in the mountains. And... Uh, he and his wife and maybe some of the kids were born at that point came there in the uh, 1990s. Uh, let me double check my thinking on that. Uh, yeah, because I remember when Graham McIntosh stayed there on after his, that, his trip in 1998 because of all the rain. It was an El Nino year, and Jose put Graham up in one of the uh, other rooms there on the site, one of the empty. There used to be a little town there at San Borja. Uh, several people live there, several families, and then it's just down to basically uh, Jose and his family. Um, Ana Alicia was his wife, and his son now is. I I, t- I chat with him on on Facebook. Uh, he's a works with the uh, government as a archaeological uh, aide or something like that, I think. And um, well, you can camp there. We we put up uh, yeah dozens of vehicles there for one night, and some people stuck around in the morning and actually showered he has, he has those nice showers down behind they, the cliff there right behind the palapas and people raved about them and right? their flush toilets yeah. there you don't know they're there unless you you walk behind and down that cliff that faces the mission fields they're kind of built into the side of the side of the mountain there and it's right. like wow i didn't know they were there the last time i was there i think was when i discovered that he had you know showers and flush toilets and he said you want them hot i can put a fire right. under they, the they, water heater they put a fire under an actual <laughs> guts of an old water heater they just built exactly. a little fire under it. exactly you know that's it, the baja way it worked and people raved about them yeah so, so san Borja is a great great place to go terrific all right and let's let's talk about san ignacio a little bit how how big of a population is san ignacio i i don't think it's got more than 500 to a thousand people at least in the San Ignacio itself, there's some a little bit of outlying areas. San Lino is one of the little outlying villages, like where Ricardo's rice and beans place is. And it's such a pic- picturesque yeah. setting to to drive down off of the highway and come down around into the palms and the river and, and cross the river. Yeah, it's just, is like wow. It really is amazing. I, I take a picture every time I cross that that river, and, you know, because it looks a little bit different each time. The water's smooth, sometimes the water's rough. And the sunlight will be on that volcano in the distance or, you know, it's just a great place for photos. <laughs> and talk a little bit about that because seemingly, you know, since I've been doing it since the middle 80s, I've never spent more than an afternoon hanging around there. I have a beautiful photograph on my wall of two twin girls that I photographed there in 87 or 88 with an old um, twin lens, you know, uh, medium format camera. And I look at these girls every day and I think about Ignacio every single day. Hmm. I've never spent more than a you know a couple hours. Well, shame on, on you. Trip. I know. So tell me about you know your your Ignacio and your feelings. Well, of- I, you know I probably haven't been there much longer either. Probably just a day at a time. It's not like a destination location typically, but it could be. And um, you know there's places to stay there. Uh, 
You can camp there on the lagoon. There's a couple of campsites, one before you cross the, the, the uh, river and one after you cross, right next to the river when you cross it. There's two different campgrounds. Uh, and then there's the place that has the yurts, Ignacio right. Springs. Uh, that's kind of exotic. Uh, and the new motel is just past the mission of La Huerta. Well, it's probably not that new anymore, but it's really nice, modern. And uh, it's like, like what I like to call the Baja Cactus of Baja Sur because the rooms are inexpensive. They're modern or clean. And, you know, it's a nice place to, to crash. And once we went there and there was a wedding going on and the place was sold out and we we had an end of staying at another place I won't mention where, but it wasn't nearly the same caliber. Mm. <laughs> well, but I got up in the morning uh, after that after one of those stays, and that's when I took the photos. That the photo cover on my book is San Ignacio in the morning uh, on the trip in 2015, the year before I I published the book, and we'd stayed at the La Huerta, and I got up before my wife wanted to get out of bed, and uh, I walked up to the Mission Plaza. It's a short walk from the hotel or the motel. And took those uh, great pictures in the morning with the morning sun on it. And uh, walked around the plaza, walked on one of the side streets of some dilapidated buildings with a balcony on it. Took pictures of that. And um, on the trip in 2017, when I was researching for the Baja Bound Road Guide, uh, I went up to the plaza for a meal. And the taco uh, stand at the corner of the plaza uh, had the best carne asada tacos i think i've ever had and i i think the guy's name is antonio off the top of my head and he's there chopping away and and that's all he did was carne asada tacos it were like a burrito to us but it was just wonderful i suppose the there's a little bit. ice cream stand there too the um, ice cream yeah i had the ice cream of cameron and his group uh last year i'd never eaten there before because i just never went there for ice cream at the right time or whatever and and uh, of course cameron loves that ice cream shop and and we enjoyed it too and uh all sorts of flavors. All right, so <laughs> back to the missions. We're on a mission for a mission. Let's take a break here for a second, David. Here at Slow Baja, we can't wait to drive our old Land Cruiser south of the border. When we go, we'll be going with Baja Bound Insurance. Their website's fast and easy to use. Check them out at BajaBound.com. That's BajaBound.com, serving Mexico travelers since 1994. Hey, Baja Tourism is picking up, and our friends at the Animal Pad and Tap Act want to remind you when you're crossing the border, just say no to puppy peddlers. I know they're cute, but the sooner we can end the demand, we can end the supply. For more information, check out theanimalpad.org and Tap Act on Instagram and Facebook back with david keir where it is home here in fallbrook so kind on short notice to open up and and make another um podcast here with me and talk about uh, the missions hey we're back here with david keir and it's just delightful to be in his home in fallbrook california and david we were talking about ice cream in san ignacio and cameron Steele and and the missions and so keep us uh going up the trail here where's the, where was the next successful mission Oh, let's see. Where were we at? We're in the 1720s. And um, I think the next mission would be uh, down in the Cape area. We actually had uh, Santiago Mission. They tried to establish it in 1721 by working out of the La Paz Mission, which started in 1720. And um, they 
uh, explored the area. Uh, they met with the natives, and they ended up uh, in 1722 establishing the mission at a site that they called the natives called Marino, and the Spanish called Santa Ana. And it turned out that is where um, that one of the soldiers noticed silver. <laughs> and so uh, that was noted at Santa Ana. And later on, it became a big silver, silver mining center, actually before the mission, during the mission period. It was the first non-mission activity in Baja by an outsider was for the silver uh, uh, ore that they discovered while they're establishing the Santiago mission. Um, that mission failed there at Santa Ana. It was called Santiago de los Coras, and maps still to this day identify the mission by that name, but it's incorrect. The mission failed, and they went back to La Paz and regrouped, and in 1724 established a mission further south, not in the land of the Cora Indians, but in the land of the Piracu Indians. And that was where, near where Santiago is today, the town of Santiago. And um, uh, it was called Santiago El Apostol uh, at the new location. But the, that information didn't get out until the 1900s, and most books still keep repeating the Santiago de los Coras name when it was Santiago El Apostol uh, name is the, the correct name for that mission. There's and, little details. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate that so so much that you're you're correcting those, and it's important to have those corrections and get them out there. Where was the silver? Where was the silver found? Uh, is that was found uh, at that location by Santa, the, the, uh, the what's called the Real de Santa Ana later. That's, the, okay. the, yeah, the Real de Santa Ana is, is just south of the town of San Antonio. In San Antonio, when, when Santa Ana's silver played out, then Santa, San Antonio was the next place they mined silver in the later in the 1700s. And then in the 1800s, it was El Triunfo that, that the silver mine continued at. So they kind of followed the vein or found new, new sources as they moved sort of north and west in the mountains there from Santa Ana to uh, San Antonio to El Triunfo. And I'm assuming the miners who were mining that were coming from the mainland. Right, exactly. And they it was, were brought over whether they were right, slave labor and, and, or... And it was not a good deal at all. Uh, the food was, was bad and poor, and, and uh, they were in bad shape. And the mission, that was when the missions were still active, they ended up having to help feed the, the miners and the families because the, the, uh, the mine company, if you want to call it that, uh, didn't do a good job. And that was, you can read about Manuel de Ocio. He was the the Spanish soldier that became the mining uh, sort of pioneer. He was a pearler and then a, the silver miner. A lot, a lot of story about Manuel de Ocio. Um, can you break down what the business, and I know the, the missions were out saving souls, but there's a business side to, to establishing a mission as well. So can you explain a little bit about how the how how a mission worked and what it how it succeeded or... Exactly. Well, like I said, the deal the Jesuits got with the Spanish government was that they could, they wanted to save souls. I mean, that was really their their end goal, is just their, the religious part of it. And the Spanish government said, well, okay, you, you can go ahead and go save the souls there in that island of California, but you're going to have to find your own financing, and then you get free reign to do what you want there. That way it'll still be Spanish land, but we won't have to be bothered with paying for the uh, occupation. So the Jesuits created what was called the, uh, the, pious, um, uh, the pious Fund, and they would uh, obtain donations from mostly wealthy Spanish and Mexican uh, Spanish families, 
and uh, to finance the missions. And that might get the Spanish families a, a better road to heaven, maybe. Uh, and the missions would take the name of someone in that family as part of the mission name, like um, San Luis Gonzaga, uh, the, the uh, benefactor, his name was Luis something. I can't think of the top of my head, but you know that was the case in a lot of the missions. Santa Hurtudis is an interesting story. That mission north of San Ignacio was scheduled to be called Dolores del Norte because the other Dolores that we talked about earlier is Dolores del Sur to separate it from the, from the two. And Dolores means the sorrows. And uh, Dolores del Norte was on the maps and charts and, and lists and there was even baptism records under Dolores del Norte. But when it came time to finally establish the mission with the financing and a priest available, the financier, the benefactor, had desired the name to be after his wife, Hertutis. So instead of Dolores del Norte, it became Santa Hertutis. But that's, in, in fact, was originally Dolores del Norte. And that was, in the 60s, a lot of books were written thinking there was a lost mission, Dolores del Norte, because they saw it on maps and they saw it on charts. But there's no mission, Dolores del Norte. Just San Ignacio, then Santa Hertutis. So some of the maps, like the Automobile Club map of the time, stuck a Dolores del Norte out in the desert between those two missions. Well, it's got to be out there somewhere. <laughs> the Jesuit said it was there, and it was just an early name. It's, it existed on paper only, is what I say in my book, in my writings. So um, that's where the money for the missions originally came from during the Jesuit period, was from wealthy benefactors or, or sometimes... Um, uh, Catholic colleges grouped together, like San Ignacio was funded from uh, one of the uh, one of the Catholic colleges, uh, I guess you would call it, uh, organizations, uh, and the uh, founder uh, uh, gave it the name San Ignacio to attach it to, uh, I think, his college or something like that. All right. Well, we've worked our way up and down the peninsula. Yeah, yeah. It went both ways from, from, right, from, exactly. from Loretto. They thought it was an island, so they just went in all directions. Wherever they found water and people and a place to grow crops, that's where a mission was established. And if that failed, they just moved it to another spot. And eventually, they realized that, you know, California is not an island because we sent a boat up to the Colorado River more than once and discovered there is no passageway to the North Sea. Uh, you know, to get to Japan's uh, shortcut, we uh, we know now it's a peninsula. So let's start working north. And the Jesuits actually wanted to connect with their missions on the mainland of Sonora, in this case, the upper part of Sonora. Uh, and they worked, uh, that's why uh, um, Santa Hurtudis and then San Borja. And then after that was Cal uh, Calamue, which was the first site for Mission Santa Maria, all in an attempt to get up to the Colorado River and work a way around to the mainland. They'd build a mission just far enough away where it wouldn't be too much hostile, unconverted territory between the two. Because Indians were all over, the native Californians, and they were worried about attack until the Indians got to know them and befriended them. So that's where they were when the Jesuits were removed. They actually discovered the site of San Fernando. It's called Velicata by the native Indians. And they had, had been there, but before they could establish a mission there, they were kicked out, the Franciscans came in, and the Franciscans established their first mission there at Velicata and named it San Fernando for their, their college, if you will, the Franciscans of San Fernando. And again, getting back to the business at hand, since they had to self-finance, that's animals, animal skins, crops, and then whatever pearls, whatever riches could be mined. Yeah, but. there isn't any really record by the that Jesuits that they ever had anything to do with pearls. They discouraged it. Pearl pearlers were were there. There were a lot of 
uh, you don't want to call them pirates, but free free boaters, or they'd come over and and work the coastline, and it was like not something the Jesuits wanted going on. Plus, they're worried about them, uh, you know, raping the local women, and obviously the diseases were introduced from these pirates and and purlers and others. I mean, a lot of people have been to California before the Jesuits were. The 1500s and 1600s um, saw a lot of contact with Europeans. So I know it's very popular to blame the, the missionaries and the Spanish for all the disease introductions, but it wasn't under their auspices or control or desire to have these things happen to the Indians. Blame it on the Vikings. Blame it on the Vikings. <laughs> oh, there's this petroglyph near there Christian is. San Fernando. That's, so let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> Scott Walter with America on Earth saw the picture I took of that petroglyph and um, through a mutual friend, actually, who uh, uh, had... Um, uh, a website about uh, lost ships in the desert and so forth, uh, John Grayson. And he told uh, Scott about me, and John was on a show about uh, Vikings in the desert, and Scott Walters said, well, we need to have, uh, you know, David Keir show us this, this spot. So I got to be on a national TV show for, well, three or four minutes anyway, pointing out this uh, this uh, Viking, uh, it looks like a ship, Petroglyph. The Spanish call it the galleon, uh, but uh, it does have Viking-esque uh, figurines if you have an imagination. It, it could be just an odd shapes that the Indians carved in the rock, but it looks kind of Or like it could ship. be Vikings. It could be a Viking 500 ship. years before, fi- 300, 500 yeah, during, years before. The, uh, right, the uh, early, uh, early uh, warm period uh, between ice ages or whatever, they came around through the Northwest Passage and came down and up to Sea of Cortez, and there's stories um, of uh, red-haired people with fair skin, and uh, you know from the Tiburon Island area. And um, yeah, Scott talks about that. He narrates that on the show, that episode. Think about that being a Viking and the getting to those warm, beautiful waters with abundant fish and whatnot. Yeah, must have been something. All right. Well, back to our original <laughs> missions of you educating me and our our slow Waha listeners about the missions and the mission system. So let's let's put it in four high and oh, yeah, wrap okay, it up. Okay, four high we go. Yeah, so San Fernando was the one and only mission founded by the Franciscans. Then they handed over the, the Baja missions to the Dominican order, who thought, this is great. We get, the, we get all of the missions of uh, uh, Baja California without knowing all of the badness, the, uh, the diseases and, and lack of water and thorny bushes. But... They, they came inherited over here and, the debt as well, right? Yeah, they came over here and they took over, and uh, they were given uh, the free land from, or the virgin land, I should say, from San Fernando Mission, which is you know forty miles beyond El Rosario, up to the San Diego, up, excuse me, up to the San Diego Mission, and in that area they were requested to establish five missions at least to fill in the void, a mission every about fifty miles apart, and. Um, uh, they and they did that eventually, and they added a couple more beyond that. So, uh, you know, after 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 they got in, in charge in 1774, they established the El Rosario Mission, and there's actually two missions in El Rosario. One, the first one is uh, just north of the highway, as you make make that sharp sharp bend after uh, Mama Espinosa's restaurant on your left, uh, up about a block from the highways where the first mission was. And the second, then they moved it because the water ran out at that spot. There was a spring, and they moved it down the valley a couple miles to the town of El Rosario de Abajo, 
which is named after the mission location, Lower or El Rosario de Abajo, Lower El Rosario Mission. And that's on the other side of the river, two miles uh, south of town or to the west of town. Then, then next year, they did uh, Mission Santo Domingo, uh, which is uh, up past San Quentin Bay by Vicente Guerrero Town, about five miles in from the highway, good, easy road. And these missions, and uh, these Dominican mission ruins, they've been turned into their, their adobe, and the adobe was allowed to melt away to just, you know, softened walls or what little's left. But they've we've preserved them by putting a, a plaster-like coating over them so they'd stop melting away and put walkways in and interpretive signs. And so uh, both sites at El Rosario, Santo Domingo, San Vicente, large complex of the San Vicente mission. And that is just before you get into town, before you cross the bridge and into the town of San Vicente, it's on your right-hand side. Uh, there's a little restaurant called Mi Ranchita, good food, by the way. And the mission is just a kilometer off the highway before you get into the town of El Rosario on your right. And then Santo Tomas has three mission sites. They moved it twice. And those sites, that sadly, didn't get preserved. They're, they're vanished. Uh, the third one, the third and final site, is right by the El Palomar campground. There's little mounds of adobe you can still see, and that's about it. And maybe the, la- the most lasting impact of that well you know they have vines they you know that <laughs> the was grapes the grapes that, came that was the, the gift yeah, yeah. Uh, different missions grew grapes and that was part of the uh, the sacrament to to have the wine and uh and the santo tomas uh, vineyards named after the mission there from supposedly mission grapes who knows yeah and of course um obviously they have the cheese and the cheese caves from that whole area as well and it, it strikes me as I don't know if there's a region in Baja south of there that could really that dairy cattle could survive in. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think they're dairy cattle down there at all. I think it's all, uh, you know, for a carne asada. Yeah, it would have been carne asada and hides. <laughs> and so the the missions, um, thinking about uh, the galleons that came from the Philippines that would have pulled into some place in the south there, would that have been... Where, where Cabo is now, is that? Where, yeah, one of the purposes of the missions, besides to convert in the natives to become loyal subjects. Yes, back to came, business. We're getting back to the business. Back to the business, right. Was to have a, a safe port of call for the Manila, Manila Galleon, which uh, after circling the Pacific currents to find its way back to Acapulco, the sailors were like dying of scurvy and really in bad shape and they needed fresh water and fresh food and fresh vegetables and fruit. And the mission system, the Jesuits were tasked to find a site for that. And sadly, they really never did. San Jose del Cabo mission uh, took, you know, had galleons calling them. And that was probably the best, but it uh, wasn't really good to harbor there. It was just how they kind of had to uh, anchor offshore and, and uh, row their boats to, to the coast at San Jose del Cabo. Magdalena Bay was hopefully to be a, a port, but they couldn't find adequate water. And they were going to, they found a spring, I guess an Indian showed them where it was, but it turned out not to be productive. And so it all failed badly to find a port for the Manila Galleon. But that was one of the primary reasons that the Spanish wanted missions in California was to resupply that Spanish Manila Galleon, bringing all the treasures from, from Asia back to Spain via Acapulco. Right. They needed that stop before they crossed 
hmm. an, another leg. You're right. Yeah, it's still, off, leg. still a long ways from. Yeah, I was just even. yes. I'm I'm visualizing the globe in my mind here. Right. That's still quite a quite right, a leg when from, you're sailing. Mostly the stuff came from the Philippines. Philippines and China. I'm not sure if they actually stopped in Japan, but they go by Japan and up to almost the Aleutian Islands. I think they came across probably Northern California. Uh, is where the current comes across from Asia, maybe, and that they could use, or the way the trade winds blow, and then down along the California coast, and right off Baja, and then all onto Acapulco. And they're really hoping to have a port of call in Lower California, but you know, San Diego Bay and Ensenada Bay were like the best bays, but the the Jesuits never got that far north before they were kicked out. All right. Well, David, take How are a, we? take us home. <laughs> Our, so the, la- the last mission, um, uh, last missions were uh, north of Ensenada was the mission San Miguel, which is in the town of La Misión. It's in a schoolyard right on the old highway, old, the old free road, and uh, on your left. And the schoolyard is actually right on the mission grounds there, but you can see some of the adobe preserved remains, a couple, couple bits of wall. Uh, and between Ensenada and San Felipe, about five miles to the east of uh, the town of Independencia is a concrete road now. It used to be dirt. It's all concrete now, paved, you will, to the town of Santa Canarina. And Santa Canarina is a is a, an Indian uh, settlement. A few Native Indian people live there. There's a modern church there. And about a half mile or a kilometer through that town, and on the other side is a cemetery. And on the hill atop of that cemetery is where Mission Santa Catalina was. So Santa Canalina was the name of the mission, and the name of the town just changed the L to an R, and uh, <laughs> Santa Catarina. So that's a funny thing. Nothing left there. Just very light-looking mounds of rooms where the rooms were. That mission was destroyed by an Indian uprising, uprising in 1839 or 1840, and the uh, the Padres never returned after after that happened. They burned the mission down. Uh, and then the uh, the final two missions were actually Mexican missions. The Spanish were gone uh, between 1810 and 1821 uh, was the Mexican War for Independence. And in 1822, Baja California uh, agreed to the terms, if you will, agreed to being a part of the Mexican nation, no longer part of Spain. And... Um, uh, the Descanso Mission was established by a padre. Uh, he built a church there in 1830, and that's called the Mission of El Descanso. It's next to a modern church right off the, the highway, uh, just south of the Canamar Sand Dunes. And the very last California mission, not only in Baja, but all the Californias, was at Guadalupe, where the Wine Valley is now. And there's a museum there, and the outlines of where they say was the mission they built some foundations to make it look like the mission foundations, but that's modern construction. But the mission was on that little level area right behind where the museum is of Guadalupe. That was from 1834 to 1840, and that was it. That was the last mission, and that was also, of course, during the Mexican period. Well, um, you've gave us you've given us quite a lesson on that. I would love to have you give us a few minutes on the El Camino Real and the significance of how that that. Uh, road. Yes, right. Track. The El Camino Real, the Royal Road or the King's Highway, different words for it, uh, was not only in California, but in other parts of, of uh, the Spanish Empire, uh, through the mainland of Mexico and the United States into Texas, etc. And the El Camino Real was a tax revenue road to bring the riches back to, to the King of Spain. So the El Camino Real 
are all fingers back to Madrid in the long sense of the term. In California, it didn't serve that purpose because there were no riches to flow back on it. It was more of a one-way street to, to supply the missions, but it was, a, it was a, the route of communication. Mail traveled on it, and supplies and people traveled on it, and that was the road uh, between Loretto and all the missions, both north and south of Loretto. We're best known for, or we know best, the El Camino Real from Loretto to San Diego, uh, particularly that Junipero Serra traveled on when he came to establish San Diego in, in Alta California. And uh, that route uh, has been mapped. Uh, Harry Crosby had maps made of it. And um, there's a couple in Canada who recently spent 20 years backpacking all over kind of, they call it groundproofing, the El Camino Real route in Baja California between Loreto and El Rosario. And there's not only one El Camino Real, but there's more than one. There's parallel routes to go to different places or for different times of the year that use different, uh, different areas. Now, the website these people have, and everyone should enjoy looking at it, it opens up Google Earth so you can see their waypoints on Google Earth. The website is CaminoRealBaja.com, all one word. And... Um, it's a, a marvelous resource and um, a great work by, uh, by Kevin and his companion uh, from, from Canada. I've been going down there and researching this for so long, and their work is tremendous. And it's lovely to see, uh, since Harry Crosby's time, that there's recent modern you know, research on the, the Camino Real route, the actual mission area one, not nor, more modern routes taken by others since then. Well, I think it'll be exciting to see what happens when the film finally gets released of Harry Crosby, um, the the current one that I believe isn't quite out yet. Yeah, I've, I've, I, know I that, saw I, some plugs for that. Right, right, and they were doing some fun last minute fundraising was the last things that I saw. Yeah, well, Harry, so. Harry's been a wonderful resource and a, and a great motivator for all of us in history, and so many people know him. And I'm I'm happy to have met him and chatted with him on more than one occasion. And uh, I last met with him uh, just this last year at his home in La Jolla, and it's just, he's just uh, such a kind, gentle man, 93 years old, I believe, when I was there, and still wanting to talk Baja. You could see it, the twinkle in his eye. The twinkle in his eye, exactly. <laughs> well, we're going to leave it right there, David. Thank you for uh, sharing the twinkle in your eye and, and uh, my mission to learn about the mission. So one more time, let's recap. Best way for people to get in touch with you, social media, your website, vivabaja.com. Vivabaja.com, and there's links on there to my Facebook page on the missions and, you know, maps and more more than you could possibly digest in, uh, in, more, in one evening, anyway, we'll say. All right. Well, David Keir, thanks again for opening your home and your heart and talking about missions with Slow Baja. Great. Thanks. Hey, you guys know what to do. Please help us by subscribing, sharing, rating, all that stuff. And if you missed anything, you can find the links in the show notes at slowbaja.com. I'll be back before you know it. And if you want to receive notices on new episodes, please follow Slow Baja on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for you old folks.